Welcome to the 205th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Anya Alborn, author of the horror novel Within These Walls. Stay tuned for the interview. This episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by Covertopia. Buy a great professionally designed cover for your next book. You can find more info at Covertopia.com. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Anya Alborn, author of the new novel Within These Walls. Alborn's previous novels include The Bird Eater, The Shuddering, The Neighbors, and Seed. Anya, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great. Well, can I have you read a couple of pages from your new novel, Within These Walls? Sure. V wasn't stupid. She knew her mother was having an affair. Whoever that Kurt guy was, her parents had refused to talk out their problems. It's what they had taught her to do, use words, not fists. But they were both hypocrites. And now V was on her way to some weird town in a state on the opposite side of the planet. Her summer was completely ruined. Her entire life was a total, hopeless, unrecoverable void of a train wreck. She'd never forgive her parents for this. Never get over it. Never. She has smelled the creep on her mother's clothes, unfamiliar cologne clinging to her like a residual ghost. She saw the other man in the slump of her father's shoulders and the way her dad watched her mom from a distance. His sadness brimmed over so full it was a wonder it hadn't drowned him completely. Her parents thought she was weird because they were too busy screaming at each other to pay attention to her. It was her mom, mostly. V had heard her blame her dad for V going goth like it was a genetically transmitted disease. But had they stopped to ask the real reason for her metamorphosis, they would have discovered that all this commotion was not about them, but about a boy named Tim. Her friend, Heidi, had gotten V into melancholy music after hearing her brother, Tim, play it on his computer. Then Tim showed them the Ouija board he kept hidden at the back of his closet behind a pair of old skateboarding decks, and V's new obsession was born. She had been reluctant at first, but you don't act like a chicken if you want to impress a guy like Tim. It wasn't that ghosts and death and alt-rock hadn't interested V before she had fallen for her best friend's brother, but Tim's affinity for the darker side of things helped push her over the edge. She was vying for his attention, and winning the affection of a high school kid was a lot easier when she could talk about the same bands, when she could look the part rather than come off as a poser. She'd gone so far as to show him a picture of her dad when he was a kid, the dark hair, the trench coat, the killer boots she'd spied in the back of her parents' closet when she went snooping for money. Tim had taken one look at the high school-aged Lucas Graham and thought it was awesome that V had been raised by a freak. When she dropped that her father wrote about serial killers and unsolved murders, she'd blown his mind and won a full-on in with Tim and his high school friends. But that was all ruined now, and ironically... It was her dad's fault. The man who had helped her win a plum spot among a group of older kids was the person who was stealing her away from them. 
And while V knew she'd be back at the end of the summer, eight weeks was an eternity. In eight weeks, Tim could discover a dozen new bands and find himself a girlfriend, a girl way cooler than her. Two months was plenty of time for V to lose her hard-earned place next to the boy she swore she was starting to love. Hey, Jeannie, get the map, her dad urged. V glared out the window for a moment longer, then grabbed her backpack out of the footwell. She rifled through it as the truck bounced along the highway toward the Pennsylvania border. Her dad had designated her as the official direction keeper, and she had booked up their route on Google Maps while he had been busy packing up the last of his stuff. His eyes had just about fallen out of his head when she told him it was a 42-hour trip. Pulling the printed directions out of a purple pocket folder decorated with black Sharpie swirls, she smoothed their route across her lap and wrinkled her nose at the crooked blue line that cut across its top. 800 miles today, kid, he told her. We have to keep up to the schedule. How long does 800 miles take? 12 hours at least. She groaned at his answer. It says 40 hours on your map. But that's regular car speed, kid. This truck doesn't go that fast. 42 hours, V corrected, then slumped against the bench seat. By the time they reached their destination, Tim Steinway wouldn't even remember her. Virginia who? She didn't want to imagine some cool, dark-haired girl hanging off his arm when she finally got back home. Needing a distraction... She tossed the map printout onto the bench seat between them and gave her father a sidelong glance. So, what did the guy you're going to write about do? Her dad frowned at the steering wheel. It was obvious he didn't want to talk about it, but V wasn't about to give him a choice. If she had to endure the possibility of losing Tim, had to deal with eight weeks of pure exile, she deserved to know what kind of a criminal was at the root of ruining her life. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about Within These Walls yet, how would you describe your new novel? Within These Walls is, um, it's a bit of a difficult novel to explain in a nutshell because there are two stories that are simultaneously running um, together. It's... um, There are two story arcs. So one happens in the here and now, um, and the other happens 30 years in the past. So the gist of it is um, we have a main character named Jeffrey Halcombe, um, and he is serving a life sentence in the Washington State uh, prison facility. He is a cult leader that was involved in a mass suicide slash murder 30 years before. Um, and then there's Lucas Graham, which you hear about from Jeannie. That, that's Jeannie's dad. Um, she calls herself V because her name is Virginia, and it's a bit of a, a more rock and roll thing to call herself. She's 12 years old, so she's in that age where everything has to be super cool and, and super rebellious. So she calls herself V, but he calls her Jeannie. Um, So Lucas Graham is her dad, and he's this washed-up true crime writer. His marriage is failing. Um, Jeannie is going with him to Washington State for the summer because 
um, Jeffrey Halcombe, is the subject of Lucas's next book, which is actually very surprising because Jeffrey has talked to no one within the 30 years that he's been incarcerated. Um, he sends Lucas a letter that says, hey, I know you're a true crime writer. I've read your books. I like your stuff, and I'm ready to talk. So this is like a golden opportunity for Lucas, who is desperate to save his career and also save his marriage. He's, he's you know, of the belief that if he can salvage his career, his marriage will follow suit. So Lucas sets off to Washington um, because he needs to live there to basically speak with um, Jeffrey Halcombe in prison. But he has a secret, and the secret is that the house that he and Jeannie are moving into is the scene of the crime. And the reason why they're moving into that house is because Jeff specifically requested them to live there. And he does not know why. Um, the second story arc is, is basically just 30 years in the past, and you get to meet Jeff and his parishioners um, of, of his cult. And you get to find out exactly what happened during this mass um, suicide slash murder that, that really nobody knows what happened because Jeff has refused to talk about it. Um, so you get to really see one story unfold within another. Um, and it all circles back to Jeff's kind of inexplicable ability to manipulate anyone or any, you know, anybody who comes into his life, whether he can speak with them in person or whether it's like Lucas where he's just sending him a letter and saying, hey, let's do this. And, and Lucas basically jumps at the opportunity. Sure. So do you, do you remember the initial idea that led you to writing within these walls? You know, there, there wasn't any one really solid idea. It, it was really just a concept of, I've, I've always been fascinated with cults and cult culture and, and, really the idea of someone being involved in a group like this and not really knowing what they're getting into until it's too late. And um, I think it's, it's kind of a popular idea to discredit the people who are involved in these groups as just being crackpots and, 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 you know, they were, they were just always crazy. And, and so they got involved in this group and, and they weren't normal people, but I think that that's, that's completely false. I think the people who do get involved in these groups are, are just like you and I. And there's just this, this very charismatic person in the center of it that, that it's filling some sort of void for them, whether it's, you know, they're lonely or they have family problems or, you know, something like that where, where they're getting involved in, with a person who seems like a, some, some kind of a savior but turns out to be something far more malicious. Um, that concept is always been sort of fascinating and, and really terrifying to me to, to think that, you know, anyone can be susceptible to that um, sort of manipulation. And so that's what I wanted to explore uh, with within these walls. I wanted to get... Um, 
I wanted to look at Lucas from a perspective of, well, he's being, he is being led by the fact that, you know, he thinks this is going to save his career. But in, in the second story arc, um, the one that's 30 years in the past, we also have uh, a girl named Audra, who is, is just basically a lonely young woman. And you get to see the way that she gets involved with the group from a completely different perspective. So you've got Lucas who's doing it as a career thing and Audra who's doing it because she really lacks any sort of um, connection with other people and who, who lacks family. Um, so you're getting career and then you're getting a really um, sort of raw emotional uh, perspective from from her side of things. So I wanted to, to explore it from different angles. Sure. And did you do a lot of research about cults, uh, in, in preparation for writing this book? Um, I had known a lot about cults in general anyway, cause I'm weird and I research that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> and, um, anytime there's like a new, you know, article about, I don't know, just like Charles Manson or Scientology or some kind of stuff like that, then I'm, I'm all about it. I, I always go in and research it. So I, I had a general idea of how things worked. Um, but there's only so much research that you can do until you, you hit the wall where you're like, well, I'm not going to know exactly what a cult is because I'm not about to go join one. Sure, sure. You know? Um, so I had to... Yeah, I did. I did a lot of research as far as watching documentaries and reading articles and and reading books and stuff like that. But um, at the end of the day, you really have to just kind of imagine yourself in that position. Right. And for for some reason, it was really easy for me <laughs> to to imagine being pulled into a group like that. I don't know if it's because I would be susceptible to something like that or whether I just, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to think about it that way. So. Yeah. 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 Well, well your first horror novel, which I mentioned earlier, seed was self-published. What, what led you to writing seed? Had you always written fiction before then? Um, I have always been into writing fiction, not specifically horror. When I was when I was just starting out, I was writing more kind of coming of age stuff, like typical young adult kind of stuff that I was just doing it for fun just to kind of explore where my mind would go as far as as fiction went. Um, but I've always been a horror fan, and I had this this idea rattling around in my brain of um, the first horror movie I ever watched was The Exorcist, and I watched it when I was around ten years old. And um, that's pretty young. My parents, yeah, <laughs> it was really oh well. A funny story. My 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 mom didn't know what she was renting. At, at, for one, we rented it at the at the VHS you know rental place back in the day, and 
and she didn't even look at the cover or anything. She was just like, okay, let's, let's just get you whatever you want. Probably expecting that I just picked something benign and you know, whatever. And, and so she didn't know what she was renting. She was, wasn't paying attention and it was new year's Eve. So she was getting ready to go to a party and and it was one of the first nights that I got to stay alone at home with my cousin who was, who was only a year older than me. And so we rented the exorcist because I was always into horror and, and my cousin was a little bit of a masochist too. And so she was like, okay, yeah, let's watch something really scary. And we watched the exorcist by ourselves. Um, in a dark house really late at night. And I remember watching that movie and, and being absolutely horrified yet not being able to look away. And that movie haunted me like for all my life. And so when I wrote seed, it was really, that's where it came from was that, that kind of lifelong fear of this like demonic type possession thing that really when I was younger, there were, there were times when I, I really wondered, like genuinely wondered, you know, what would happen if that sort of thing happened to me or happened to someone that I knew or, or is it really possible? And it was just kind of this dormant sort of obsession of mine that eventually I was brave enough to write and it was, it was actually pretty terrifying to write it because I had been thinking about that story for so long that I was afraid to screw it up. Right. You know, like just the idea of putting it to paper, I knew that I could do it, but I wasn't confident that I was a good enough writer to do it justice and how terrifying it was in my mind because it had been there for so long. Um, and what, what made you finally decide to sit down and, and, and try to commit that idea to paper? I don't know. It just, there was something that clicked in my head that just said, you know what, you have to write this story. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. I don't know if, if I had read something that reminded me of it or that I had watched something that had brought that back to the surface or whether that concept just couldn't stay in my head for any longer without coming out. I, I don't know, but I, I remember specifically the day that I sat down to write, it was the day after my birthday. Um, on, I, I don't even remember what year it was. I think it was 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the day after my birthday and I just decided, you know what, I'm going to finally write this book. Like that was probably, I, I mean, it was, my birthday is on January 8th. So it was a week after New Year's resolutions and everything. So maybe <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, I'm going to do it this year. Yeah. And I just sat down and I did it. And um, it was, you know, thankfully it was actually a lot easier than I expected it to be maybe because I had been thinking about it for so long. Um, but yeah, I just sat down and I did it and thank God, because that was the first book that I published and I did self publish it. Um, because I got tired of, of hearing no all the time, which is, you know, that typical story that you hear 
right. from every writer. So you, you did try yeah. to go the traditional publication route before you decided on self-publishing? With Seed, I did not. Um, mm-hmm. I had tried to publish multiple books through through the uh, traditional route before Seed. Oh, gotcha. Um, to no avail. And that was the I more coming-of-age get... young adult that you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of... And, and I now, in hindsight, Thank goodness, because that was not that was not the kind of stuff that I was really passionate about. If I had ended up being published as a, a young adult or a coming of age type novelist, I would probably have to start over again under a pseudonym or something for for horror because it wouldn't have made any sense. But um, yeah, I just I, I kept getting. Um, I kept getting bites from, from agents and then they would circle back and circle back. And and there was one point where I was sure that I had gotten, you know, that I, that I was about to get a contract with an agent. Right. Um, And it fell through because it was, gosh, I think this was, it was something they gave me a story about the economy, you know, Oh, well we can't commit, you know, stuff like that. Just, you know, general stuff that they'll tell you. And, and I was like, okay, all right. And so then I I sat down and I started writing seed and I decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to finally write a horror novel because that's where, that's where I'm, my passion lies. Mm -hmm. And while I was writing it, the first, the first draft was about 75% of the way done. And my husband sent me a link to, um, KDP, which is, um, Kindle direct publishing, Amazon's platform to publish right. directly to their Kindle. Um, I had never heard about it before <laughs> and I saw it and I thought, well, you know, I'm not sure, you know, it, Anything, anytime you, you come across something that's new like that, you should always be a little bit wary. Right. Like, what's, what's the deal? And so I did a ton of research. I'm, I'm talking like <laughs> months of research, hours a day of the pros and cons of doing this. I didn't want to screw my chances of, you know, well, if I can get an actual agent, if I can get an actual publisher, well, publishing seed through KDP hurt my chances of, of doing that in the future right? because one of my dreams, however, you know, convoluted it may have been at the time was I really wanted to be published with, you know, big time publisher. That was, I mean, that's everybody's dream. Sure. Sure. So, so I did some research and I finally decided, you know, I'm going to give this a shot. And it was part of the part, Part of the reason why I did that was because I was tired of getting those rejection letters, you know, and, and I decided I'm just going to, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And the worst that could happen is that I've got a book that's out there that nobody buys. And what's the difference between that and just getting rejection after rejection on a book that nobody's reading right? anyway. So I put it out there and, um, Lo and behold, for some inexplicable reason, it got traction and and it just, it took off um, by nothing but word of mouth, honestly. Um, I got really, really lucky with that. Um, 
my husband doesn't like it when I say that I got lucky. He <laughs> says, no, you put out a really good book and that's why. Yeah. But I really, I really do believe that no matter how good of a, a book you've got in, in this industry, part of, part of it is really that you're in the right place at the right time. And, sure. and I feel like that was the case. And, and it was the big moment for self-published books. And, and, you know, I was doing a bunch of um, social media stuff and I knew a lot of people and I had been hyping it up for months and finally I released it and people liked it. And so, you know, that's the way my publishing career started. That's great. With a self-published book, yeah. And, 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 can you talk about, uh, I think after that, uh, you published uh, with Amazon. Um, how did that come about? I got an email from Amazon about three months after I published Seed. And Seed's numbers were really good. At one point, I got up to number one on the on the horror list, um, which blew my mind. I, I, I couldn't believe it. It was pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, so I'm sure Amazon was paying attention to that stuff. They were looking at numbers. They were looking at, um, you know, self-published authors at that time because they were interested in starting their own imprints. I know that they had certain imprints before, but they were just starting out, I believe, with 47 North, which was their sci-fi and horror imprint. And I'm sure that they were kind of scouting for authors and stuff like that. And I ended up got, uh, getting an email from their senior uh, acquisitions editor saying, you know, I read Seed and I thought it was awesome and would you consider, you know, signing with us? And, and honestly, at first, I was really kind of angry at the email because I had spent a whole decade getting these rejections, um, you know, trying to break into the industry with this book and that book and, and, and just, you know, feeling completely defeated. And finally I put out my book, which is self-published and it gets attention and it's doing well. And then they circle back and they're like, Hey, <laughs> how about you come and jump on our bandwagon? And I thought that was just, it made me so angry because of course they would, you know, of course, after you, after you find, um, you know, a foothold in the industry, they come back and they're like, Hey, I, I think you're awesome. And why don't you, you come and, and hang out with us. But I had to get over that initial, um, that initial anger of, well, you want me now, but you didn't want me before, you right. know? Because at the end of the day, I really, my goal was to make this my career. And I had to stop and think, can I do as much self-publishing my books as I can with someone really backing me and helping me do this? Um, you know, there was a trade-off because with self-publishing, you do make more of a percentage per sale, but you have to consider whether or not 
you're going to make more sales on your own or you're going to make more sales with someone pushing your book for you. Right. Um, I mean, there, it was really a hard decision to make, but I ended up going with them because I really felt like if I didn't, I was shutting a door that I had been trying to kick open for so long um, that it didn't make sense to turn my back on them because of my own ego, you know, like, oh, well, I made it work for this one. Was I sure that I could make it work for the second or third one? No way. No way. So I, I, you know, decided it was a better route to go with someone who can help me rather than, you know, just saying, forget it, I can do it myself because I wasn't sure that, you know, as I said, maybe it was dumb luck. And if it was dumb luck, then I might not have a chance after my first book. I might just fade, right. you know, and that, that right there terrified me because coming so close and like being right there and then losing it, I knew that I would, if I did recover, it would take a long, long time for me to do so because gotcha. I had been trying so hard. Um, so the, just the, you know, just the idea of that was so scary that I decided that I was going to sign with them just to get that foothold a little deeper, you know, just to, just to put my fingers into the industry a little bit more. And if I did decide that it wasn't for me, then I'd go back to self-publishing. But, but I really did enjoy working with a team rather than doing it all myself. Right. So you mentioned earlier that, that horror had always been your, your passion. And you, you also uh, talked about seeing the, the um, exorcist when you were very young, were you also reading horror literature? And if so, what were some of the authors or your favorite authors? Oh my gosh. That's a, that's a trick question because that was so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I remember the first really scary book I read. And I apologize, I do not remember the name of the author, but I do remember the name of the book. The book was Wait Till Helen Comes. It was a book about a girl who was a ghost, typical horror trope. Um, But before then, I I really hadn't read anything um, scary or anything like that. I was genuinely... Um, a child of the eighties was mostly glued to the television. Um, and you know, at, to a point, I think that that was, that's a, a shortcoming of mine as far as, you know, I, 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 I just wasn't raised in a family, uh, in a household that really pushed reading as something that was, you know, required that, that we should be doing. <laughs> Um, And part of that reason, part of that reason was because when I, I was born in Poland and when I moved to the United States, I was about four years old and my parents, when they came over with me, they didn't speak any English at all. So they had no real concept of, uh, they just, they weren't readers because they, had a very, very difficult time with it themselves. And Mm -hmm. so they didn't push that on me the way other parents would push books on, on their kids because, 
they probably felt like, well, we can't read to her, so it would be really weird to push it onto her if she doesn't want to do that. And so I was kind of left to my own devices. And as a, as a young kid, um, I really turned to the TV most of the time. After I read Wait Till Helen Comes, I started reading more. Um, and, but I can't tell you that it was mostly scary books or anything like that. It was just general kid stuff. Um, I remember reading a lot of Goosebumps, um, I mean, just general, general, scary little kid stuff. Sure, sure. But otherwise, nothing, nothing specific that turned me on to it. I know a lot of people say, oh my gosh, I read, um, Stephen King's It when I was like 11 years old and I couldn't sleep for the rest of my life and stuff like that, which I think is awesome, but that's not... That's not my story. I was right. not that lucky. Okay. I, I probably wouldn't have ever been able to pick up a... I mean, even today, the the heft of that book is just so, <laughs> um, you know, intimidating that for a, a little kid, good on you if you could get through that book when you were a kid because that wasn't me. I was sure. I was reading more of the of the kid specific type stuff. So, right. So, so, so given your success to date with the novels that you've had published, including your new novel within these walls, what advice would you have for aspiring writers who may be listening, who would one day like to have their own novel selling? Oh my gosh. Um, when I was writing that coming of age, kind of young adult stuff that kept getting rejected, I feel like I was trying to write more for an audience than for myself. And I think that was one of my problems. I was thinking, well, what are people going to want to read? And I was so desperate to get into the industry that I was losing sight of what I would want to read. And after being rejected for so long, there was a moment of clarity, I guess, that, that I said to myself, you know what, forget it. I'm, I'm getting these rejection letters from agents all over the place. So let me just write for myself. Let me just write a book that I would want to read. And maybe that's where that, that long lingering concept of, of writing seed in general came from was what book would I want to read? And that, that idea had been stuck in my head for so long that it was the first thing that came to mind was, man, I would want to read that book, even though I was terrified to write it. Um, so I finally decided, you know, I'm going to write for myself. And that's what ended up sort of putting me on the map and getting me in the industry. So I think the best advice that I could give anybody is to not write for the industry itself. Write for yourself. Write what you want to read because chances are that there are many people out there who would love to read what you want to read yourself, you know? Um, so, you know, don't, don't write for the agents and don't write for the publishers, write what you want to read and, and 
if you if you follow that passion, what you end up writing is is probably going to be pretty good. Um, so I guess that's that's the best piece of advice that I can give. Right. So if people are interested in in finding you online and finding out more about you and your books, how can they find you? Um, I have a website, AnyaAlborn.com. Very easy. Um, I think if you Google me, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. I mean, I just pop up everywhere. Um, <laughs> and I'm I'm with Simon & Schuster now, which is amazing. Um, so if you go to their website, you can find me there too. I'm pretty easy to find. And that that's another thing that when I was starting out, that was one of my main goals was to make myself um, discoverable um, as far as internet presence goes, um, just in case someone had heard about me or my book or something that they could find my other stuff. Um, so yeah, it's pretty, it's easy. I've, I've got a website and it's just my name. Great. And there, there will be links to those in the show notes as well. So people can check that out. So, um, well, again, we've been speaking with Anya Alborn, author of the new novel within these walls. The novel has just been published. So go grab a copy or download the ebook and Anya, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Great. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.